it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. Adam, you had an interesting perspective from the Broncos' peaceful protest march. And it's not, for those wondering, this isn't going to be a conversation about what's going on in the country right now. This is more about your take on what you took from it, and I think it's very interesting, and I'm going to give you the floor and take over from here. All right, well, I appreciate that. Um, So, yeah, I I think it was a a sort of a fascinating moment in Broncos history, and and obviously there there are uh, implications that go beyond the the football world, but one of the things that I, I really started to notice or, or this feeling I started to have about it is is the the sense of unity that you get from the Denver Broncos when you watch all of the videos you know that you see the tweets and you listen to the interviews and and you you see that you know they're all wearing the t-shirts and they're marching together and and it was one of those things that I, I started to think about unity and I started to think about team and you know Vic Fangio was there and Joe Ellis was there who uh, you know, if you've ever heard Ian and I talk about Joe, he's not my favorite person in the world, but he, but he was there. It was a, you know, a team moment that I sort of 
realized could be this galvanizing force that that sort of takes them from being a group of of players on a team to being an actual team. Now, I, I know that that sounds funny when I say it that way, but one of the things that I have noticed throughout my life in playing sports and being a part of different teams and watching other teams is that there there are times when you see a team that comes together that is brought together by something that is beyond their control or is brought together by something that they can all get behind. And so it really doesn't matter where you stand on uh, you know, the Black Lives, Ladder, Black Lives Matter movement or uh, you know, how you feel about the protests or what you think about them you know, as far as the Broncos being out and in the forefront. But what you should have perhaps taken away from it is that this is a group of men who came together and united uh, in as sort of this one big unit uh, with the, uh, one voice. They stood up for something that they collectively believed in. And I think that what that will do for the Broncos as they move forward, and this is something that I, I want to bring it back to football because it's important that we recognize that, the, you know, this is a football podcast and this is a football issue. What this will do for them is this will remind them that they are in this fight together and that they have each other's backs and will have each other's back throughout the season. And it's a fascinating comparison to what I think we've seen over the course of the last few years, really since the Super Bowl in 2015. And that is this notion that you had really two separate teams. You had an offense and you had a defense, and I suppose you also had a special teams. But you had this sort of dichotomy of a great defense, and they've been great for a long time with with a lot of really, really good players and a really, really bad offense. And so team unity, while they may have liked each other, may they may have gotten along, they may have uh, you know off the field been been buddy buddy or whatever on the field, you could tell there there had to have been some issues inside the locker room and on the field of offensive players and defensive players not necessarily feeling like they had each other's backs. And that, that sometimes that's beyond your control. But when you see Von Miller and Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson sort of leading the charge there, and Todd Davis and Kareem Jackson were the ones who really put this together that brought the Broncos together. And you see them marching together with people of the community in Denver uh, through you know Civic Center Park and up to the Greek Amphitheater from the Capitol. And then you hear... Drew Locke, who is go- who is going to take over this team as the quarterback, talking about putting a plan in action, a first down, a second down, a third down, which I thought was a great way to talk about the issue. What you see is a team, right? You hear Dalton Reisner talk about uh, becoming a unit, becoming a team, and, and, and having each other's back. And you could tell that this was a group that has each other's back. And, and my belief is, my feeling on this is, that this is the type of, of issue that can bring a team together, that can unite them as sort of one cohesive unit. And then that can bleed into how they interact with each other, how they play together on the field. It can be something that galvanizes them, that makes them a better team. Even though it's not football, it is about team, it's about family, it's about coming together. And, and I think that what you will see is that these guys are now – they are more of a team now than they were a week ago, than they were two weeks ago, than they were during last season. They are more of a team now. 
And that can only be a good thing moving forward when we do finally get to football games. I think the one aspect that stands out from what you just talked about is the sheer amount of people who were there. To have Vic Fangio there, to have Drew Locke there, to have Dalton Reisner there is important. To to have, as you said with Drew Locke, he's going to be the one to take over this team. Not just the offense, but the team is very important. And it's it'll be interesting to see how it translates to on the field because that's probably the first time this entire offseason since uh, COVID-19 shut the country down in mid-March that they've been together as a team since all of this has happened. So that in and of itself is very fascinating. It's just, it's, it's nice to see the players respond the way that they have and the way that they have as a team. And I think whether or not it translates to success, like we said, time will tell, but it, it can't be a bad thing. No, of course not. And and you you know when they are when you when you're supporting somebody, they're going to turn around and support you back. And when you when you prove to someone that hey, I'm with you in this difficult time, in this challenging moment. I I'm behind you. I I I I support you. Then when you hit a bumpy, you know, sort of a bumpy rough patch throughout the season, this is something you can draw on and say, "Hey, we're still in this together." We're, we're still going to do this as a team. We're still a unit here. And we can we can take away from what we did in June as a team, and we can apply that to how we interact with one another here in November or December, whenever it might be, right? Whenever this bumpy, rough patch arrives. So, I, again, I, I think that it, in pure football terms, and, and I have seen it with other teams, with other issues, lesser issues, uh, issues of life and death, issues of – uh, you know, sickness and disease that have, you know, you know, hit a player that, you know, everybody can sort of rally around. This is the same kind of rallying cry, the same sort of moment that can help bring a team together. I, I for one, am going to take this in football terms as a positive. I'm going to look at this team and I'm going to be uh, proud of them for coming together and showing that they are uh, a singular unit together as one. I just, I think that was very important. And, and, and like Von Miller said, uh, you know, he was proud of his teammates and I'm, you know, proud of Denver, proud of Colorado. You know what? Proud of Broncos country. And and no matter where you s- sort of fall on the spectrum of your beliefs, as far as the riots or protests or whatever, however you feel about it, this is a team they've come together as a team. And this will definitely be something that they can hold on to. And they can sort of look to as a moment that brought them together when they move into actual football play. That leads into our next discussion point. And is Colin Coward either the new biggest Broncos fan alive, or is he just trying to get everyone's hopes up? Excellent pivot, by the way. That's an excellent pivot. I like that. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I don't. I, I mean, how do you read this? What? How? How many months ago was it that we all hated Colin Cowherd because he was an idiot and had no idea what he was talking about? And now he is a coward. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, and now because he loves drew lock and the Denver Broncos and drew locks an MVP candidate and they're going to win the AFC West. And look at all the weapons around now. Colin Coward is supposed to be my favorite talking head on TV. And no, I, I, I don't, th- let's, let's give a, let's give a basic rundown of okay. what 
the Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports TV host is saying. So he's been on the Drew Locke train for a couple of months, probably since the beginning of the year. I think January, February is when he started. At least that's my best recollection of it. I don't really follow him because I think he's an idiot. But he's he's been really pushing Drew Locke as the next great thing in the NFL for a couple of months. Now he's taken even at a step, he's taken it even a step further by saying Drew Locke is an MVP candidate and that the Broncos are going to win the the AFC West. I, 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 listen to me, I can't even I can't wrap my head around any of that because like you, I am not a fan of Colin Cowherd. Now I I do remember Oh God, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I remember listening to his radio show because I think he was on right before Dan Patrick was on, on ESPN radio. And so I would listen because I was, you know, I would be driving and I would turn it on and be like, oh, oh, too early for Dan Patrick. So I'll just listen to Colin Coward. But I never really thought that his opinion was worth all that much. And I just couldn't get into his show. And I, I will admit he is selling something. He is he is looking for ad dollars. He is a you know he is a radio guy, a TV guy. They this is how he makes his money. So he's going to say things that seem outrageous. He has a commission on Drew Lock. He has a he has a commission on Drew Lock. Okay, which okay fine. I guess if he's if he's all in on Drew Lock, that's great. Uh, that doesn't change my opinion of Drew Lock, and it doesn't change my opinion of the Denver Broncos. But it it's sort of like. It, it, you know what? It also doesn't change my opinion on Colin Cowherd. I still don't think he is all that great. I don't trust his opinion when it comes to sports in general. I, I, th- I think I remember seeing, and I'd have to look this up, and so don't quote me on it, but I remember somebody doing a sort of a rundown of him. He, he does like, you know, football betting on his show and what picks you should make and over-unders and this, that, and the other. And he's like a, got a losing record over the course of the like last 10 years. So don't listen to the guy. But also, I like that he likes my team. I like that he's a big fan of Drew Locke. I like that he thinks the Broncos are going to be good in 2020. I just I just don't like him, and that's okay, right? I can like what he's saying and disagree with most of everything else that he does. What's fascinating is you get like the complete 180 with guys like Adam Rank last year saying that the Broncos would go two and 14 and this year where his cohort, Nick Wright says they'll go three and 13, which is fascinating because the three wins that he has, the Broncos having are against playoff teams. So they're not great, but they're going to beat three playoff teams. Okay. It's just, it's interesting because as we were talking before, and I'm going to throw this out there for the, the listeners to contemplate, is it real or is it just hot take radio? Like, does he actually believe the Broncos are going to beat the Chiefs for the AFC West? Because, no, they're no. not. No. I There's still like a Grand Canyon-esque gap between these two teams. And then Arrowhead, Arrowhead Addict, I think is the Twitter account, the, the site account for the Chiefs, where they're basically like, isn't this the Los Angeles Chargers? So are the Broncos now turning into the Chargers for the Chargers offseason because of Colin Coward and Drew Locke? Ooh, that's a good that's a really good comparison. I you know what I don't want? 
I don't want the Denver Broncos to become the Chargers, a la Phillip Rivers, all the talent in the world. You know, we always talk about Chargers season. In fact, it's it, this is literally Chargers season. We are in Chargers season. People should be talking about how the Chargers are going to be good this year, how they, they've got all these t- t- you know, talented weapons, and they're going to score lots of points, and Phillip Rivers, yada, yada. But now Phillip Rivers is gone with his 18 kids, and... Uh, I suppose maybe there, there's no hype around the Chargers, and so you got to pick a team, and everybody hates the Raiders, and so you pick Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos. I don't want that for this team. That's not what I'm hoping for. I do think Drew Locke is going to be a good football player. I do think the small sample that we saw gives a pretty good indication that Drew Locke has the potential to be a solid starting quarterback in the NFL and that the Denver Broncos with a, a good defense and some weapons around him could win anywhere from six to 13 games. That's a pretty big spread. I have no idea. And so, yeah, this is talking head BS, but I I would venture a guess that he believes it. I think that when he, when Colin Cowherd says this, he knows it's to get people like us to go, oh my God, and now we're going to have a talk, uh, talk about it. We got to talk about this. But I also which think we he, are. which we are, of course. But I also think he believes it. I think he says it because he believes at least part of it. He believes that the Denver Broncos could be good, and he believes that Drew Locke could be a good football player. I don't. I don't think you can really be a football person and believe when you look at the landscape of the National Football League that the Denver Broncos are going to win the AFC West and that Drew Locke is going to be an MVP candidate. I just don't think you can truly believe that. So it's a little of both. It's a hot take because it's hot take season, and he probably partially believes it. So, sure, whatever. I, I'm i with you. I don't want the Broncos to be the new Chargers offseason. I, I don't want that. It's it's not the Broncos' way. I, I do think they're on the right path to closing the gap with the Chiefs, but it's not going to happen this season. I do think the Broncos will be a playoff team just because – with the expansion of the playoffs to seven teams instead of six. I mean, they were a playoff team a year ago under this format. So I, I I think they're a better, as we've talked about multiple times, they're a better team now than they were in 2019. And I think they're going to be able to, to take care of the death by inches that cost them games last year and I think they'll be able to close out the closer the close games that they had a year ago and they will I think they'll win at least 10 games I think 10 is where I have them pegged right now that could increase or decrease by a game or two but right now I have them at 10 wins I think that's fair I love that you brought out death by inches I haven't heard that in a long time but I, I think it needed some. It needed a little run there. I think it would need to be brought back because you do bring up a good point that this Broncos team, as constituted in 2019, was on the cusp. They were they were incredibly close to being a playoff team, and that's with a bad Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen. I couldn't remember if he was Brandon or Kyle. You know, there's so many Allens. I knew it wasn't Josh. Uh, <laughs> so you know, and then Drew Locke winning four or five games down the stretch. This is a team that the ball bounces a little bit differently. Some bad calls go their way. A few things change. They they make the playoffs. So are they a better team in 2020 than they were in 2019? Absolutely they are. That doesn't mean that other teams don't get better either. I think that that's the, the problem that you get 
if you take what Colin Cowherd is saying and you look at some of the national media hype around the Denver Broncos, you're looking at things in a vacuum almost. You're you're analyzing it as if everybody else stayed exactly as they were. They f- they're frozen in time, but the Denver Broncos changed. Well, that's not what happens, right? You you have you have to keep that in mind that everybody changes. Everybody has draft picks. Everybody signs free agents. Everybody makes trades. The, everything changes. So there is no Denver Broncos are better and nobody else is. It's the Denver Broncos have gotten better and other teams probably have as well. And so it'll be curious to see how much better have they gotten and will the ball bounce their way? That 2015 season, I hate to keep going back to it because it was the last time we felt any real success, but that 2015 season may have been the luckiest season in franchise history. The ball constantly bounced the Denver Broncos way. And then they obviously played well enough to win in the playoffs and, and go in on a Super Bowl run. So if the ball bounces the Denver Broncos way in 2019, maybe they you know make a deep run in the playoffs. Who knows? Is the ball going to bounce their way in those close games in 2020? Maybe, but a better team, the ball generally bounces their way when they're a better team. And so hopefully that's what has happened. I just don't know that Colin Cowherd is I, – I love his exuberance, but dude, just chill. Like that's, I just want to call him like, just chill. As, as you said, I think one thing that that plays a big part in it is the good teams make their own luck. As you said, the ball generally bounces your way when you're a better team. So does your luck. And I think the other area that plays into it is the calls go your way too. When you're a better team and the officials know you're a good team, you generally get the calls for you. So those calls that went against them last year, namely against the Bears and the Jaguars, if they're a better team, they probably get those calls. So I think one area, and this this ties into how we opened up the show, I think one area that all this is going to be benefited from is that they'll have that cohesion as a team. They'll be, they'll view themselves as a team. They'll trust the guys around them next to them on the other side of the field. And the other area that it plays in is Vic Fangio and his staff will now have another year under their belt too. And then you throw in an experienced uh, assistant coach in John Pagano, who is now the linebackers coach it's going to benefit them too, because you now have a very experienced coaching staff to go along with Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel. You throw in Pat Shermer, you throw in Mike Shula, you throw in John Pagano. You don't have any guys on your staff now who are wet behind the ears. These are guys who have been around the league a very long time. Yeah, experience is is huge in this situation. I, I totally agree with that, and so it will be uh, it will be a good thing for the Broncos. And, and again, you know, the off on the offensive side of the ball, Pat Shermer is and Mike Mike Shuler are going to uh, have an opportunity to really sort of mold Drew Locke and help him to grow and become a better player. And this is this to me is a transition year for the Denver Broncos. I don't, I don't think that 2020 is a year that we should all be looking at them and, and saying that they're going to be a, uh, a playoff team that runs, you know, runs deep into the playoffs. To me, this is more of a uh, transition transition year from a team that's been bad for the last few years to a, a good team, a dangerous team, a team that could potentially get into the playoffs, but 
isn't really going to win anything beyond maybe one playoff victory to then in 2021 and 2022. Now you're seeing a team that I think will be able to compete for AFC West titles and will be able to challenge for that supremacy in the AFC, but it's a process and it's, it's, we're not going to call it a rebuild because John Elway doesn't like that, but you know, they are rebuilding a little bit. Um, So, you know, I think that's where we're going to go. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Um, We'll do a, we'll do a a short break and then we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, preseason because why not? Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. Laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back. Uh, Ian, you shared a tweet um, earlier today. Uh, you retweeted Tom Pelissero, and I'll just read the tweet from Tom Pelissero. Uh, of the NFL Network. Of the NFL Network, thank you. Uh, and, and the tweet says, The NFL and NFLPA are discussing the possibility of shortening the 2020 preseason, per sources. Uh, nothing finalized or imminent, but multiple team executives informed of talks currently believe they could end up playing two preseason games rather than four. Uh, and in your retweet, you uh, also mentioned, is there a way to just make this permanent for the hashtag Broncos and NFL? Um, it's a, sort of an interesting idea here. We hate the preseason. I do think there's a, a necessity, right? There's some some necessary evil to it. You need to have practice games to get yourself in game shape, especially in the NFL, I think in, in all of the major sports, I think it's the one that needs the most, uh, preseason personally. That's just my feeling on it. But I also think this is a good thing. You know, fewer preseason games means fewer potential game injuries. I don't know. What was your take on that? As, as you said, as I said in the tweet, just make it permanent. I, I mean, I get the idea of, of needing to get reps, but one of the the things that people said in response to it where people didn't like it is what if you have competition at positions? And uh, to me, coaches have an idea of who they like and who they want at those positions. It'll just streamline the process to make their decision quicker instead of waiting for, or if you play in the hall of fame game, five weeks five preseason games to do it because everyone knows the only reason there are four preseason games is so the owners can make money. That is the only reason there are four preseason games. Now this is an unusual situation because I could actually see them needing four preseason games because the teams haven't been around each other. They haven't been on the field at all yet, aside from 
some workouts between the quarterbacks and the receivers or whoever else is on the high school field or the park where they go. But even then, I don't. I still don't think it's necessary. I, I think two games, two preseason games is more than enough. It's just whether or not the NFL and the owners specifically will go with it because why would they want to take two more revenue streams away from themselves? Yeah, it is interesting that preseason is really just a money grab. It's a cash grab for the owners, but it also does serve a purpose and and this is where this is where I actually think that it it could end up being a, a bad thing when you only have two preseason games perhaps how you get around only having those two preseason games is that you end up having starters play even more and the experiment of having uh starters not play in the preseason that I think we saw a few teams do last year uh I think that didn't really work out. You you do have to get ready. You do need to be game ready for the NFL. You need to feel tackles. You need to understand, you know, that the timing that goes with it. And you can only get that down in a true game setting. So to me, it's not so much about player battles. Like, you know, position battles are going to happen no matter what. And position battles occur throughout the season anyway. We see guys all the time that don't play well and they get replaced by somebody else. I mean, just look at the Denver Broncos linebacker core. I mean, it just that's just the way it is. That's that's the NFL right there. The battle never ends. So to me, it's more about being actually game ready. And one of the things that I will point to is when you look at what college football does, what a lot of the college football teams try and do is they schedule their cupcakes early. You know, you, you schedule little sisters of the poor to start the season if you're Alabama so you can get game ready by the time you're, you know, you're playing Auburn in the middle of the season or at the end of the season. So it, it there is going to be some of that where those first couple of games are going to, I, I guess they'll be sloppier, right? The first couple of games during the regular season now, if they go to a two-game format in the preseason, will be a little sloppier. There will be, uh, you know, some some penalty issues. And, and not just for the teams that are playing in the games, but also for the refs. And we talked about the issue with referees and, and officials on the field and not doing, not doing a very good job. I think this hurts them as well a little bit. I'm not for more preseason games so that owners can make more money, but I do think that there needs to be uh, sort of a, maybe a, a middle ground here. Dropping all the way from four to two, cutting it in half, that feels like a lot. Maybe three, right? Go with three. That gives you your 20 games. If you think about it this way, if the league is expanding to 17 games to a 17-game season, three preseason games and a 17-game regular season, that gives you 20 games right there. That's kind of what they want, isn't it? Didn't they want to go with 18 regular season games? 18 and 2 would be 20. 17 and 3, that's 20. I, I feel like that's sort of a magic number almost. And it'll give you enough time to get guys player ready, you know, get guys game ready, and then also mitigate injuries and still get your revenue and those kinds of things. So I'll be curious to see what happens here. If they do go to two, I don't know that they'll ever go back. I mean, it's the players don't want it. The players don't want more preseason games. They want less. So I, I can see that. I hope they stick with two because the way it is now, you play a series in the first game, then you're done. You play a series in the second game, maybe two, and you're done. The third preseason game is where you play a half, usually. 
generally you play a, a half in the third preseason game, and then they don't play anyone in the fourth. So if you take in that math and that breakdown, instead of having four games where the starters play a combined maybe three quarters, maybe, now if you have two preseason games, you can have them play the entire first preseason game and then they don't play the, four, the the second one. So you're still getting the same kind of reps, but you're getting it more. And you're getting it in a situation where it's not going to be broken up over three weeks. You're going to get one live game action, and it's as close to a game as you'll get in any preseason that they've had for however, what, 15, 20 years they've been doing these four preseason games, 30 years. And then that last preseason game is still what it always is, is a, a way to have third and fourth stringers battling it out. I like that. I actually do like that because it also um, it forces the starters to get into game flow earlier. You know that one of the biggest issues that players have is you go out and you play a series. Well, you're supposed to build off of that series, whether you had a good series or a bad series, there's supposed to be some sort of build off of that. When you're in a regular game, when you're in a regular season game, you don't play a series. Ah, uh, you know, I threw three incomplete passes or we handed the ball off three times and then we came out and there's no continuity. You, you got to go back out on the field. The, I do like the idea of having more action by the starters in that first preseason game or the second preseason game. You could even do it where they played the first half of game one and the, first half of game two, and then you get your four quarters, but it's more of a, uh, a in the flow of the game. So I, it'll be interesting to see what teams do that to me. That's where it becomes fascinating is it'll just be interesting to see how different teams approach this change. If they do finalize it, will they change the way that they, uh, you know, manage the games and the way that they plan for the games, or will they just kind of, uh, I mean, I guess they'll have to. So I guess the question is, how will they do that? And it'll be interesting to see if they do make this change, which I think I think they probably will, the more you think about it. I hope so, because I think for me, the big thing is getting up to game speed, because that's the one thing you can't do in training camp. And it's the one thing you can't even do with joint practices. And that's something that was announced in the last week or so, is the NFL has scrapped joint practices and the Broncos were supposed to do it with the Bears again. So that's been taken out. So the idea of getting up to game speed and doing it over the course of potentially three quarters or a full game in the preseason, as opposed to, as you said, breaking it up and getting your mojo and getting your feet under you, and then you come out and you're done for the rest of the game. I like the idea of getting up to game speed and getting – because one of the things that swimmers talk about or or any runner or, or cyclist or whatever is – you get beaten down over the course of the process. So you, you get that you hit the wall and then you go over it. So you're ready for it. And that's what will allow with, with this preseason setup, you'll be able to do that a lot quicker with that first preseason game or the second one, depending on how they do it. than they have with the current format of the, the preseason setup. Yeah. And guys will adjust. I mean, that's the other thing. These are, these are elite athletes who have worked all their lives to be football. They'll adjust and they'll be fine. So I, it'll just be interesting to see how everything sort of plays out. All right. So we're going to, we're going to change gears a little bit. We're going to downshift a little, uh, Jess place wrote an interesting article, a nice article, uh, two of them actually, 
regarding Denver Broncos Hall of Famer Floyd Little and his battle for cancer. We haven't really had a chance uh, battle for cancer, battle battle with cancer. Say that correctly. Against. Yeah, well, you're battling against it. You're battling with it. You know, I don't know. He's fighting cancer right now. I think that's that's the key key thing to talk about here. Whether I say it correctly or not doesn't matter, I suppose. But it is something that is has been. Uh, I, I guess what I would say is it's something that we have always been um, sort of on the forefront of is talking about these things and and making sure that we. Uh, sort of, you know, lend our support and and ask you to lend your support as well. And uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. There's been lots of things going on, and we on the podcast haven't really been able to mention it. I suppose we could have, and we just haven't. But uh, it is one of those things where Floyd Little is the is the first greatest Bronco of all time, right? Is that maybe the the best way to say that? And uh, you talk about his nickname being the franchise for a reason, and he is in uh, the 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 biggest battle of his life right now. And it is one of those things where Jess wrote a couple of nice articles and it is something that, that we should acknowledge that he's, he's fighting cancer and he is, um, he is a, a, you know, a guy who fought a long time to get into the hall of fame, deservedly so. And now he's, uh, sort of got this bigger fight in front of him and we want to lend our support and, uh, our thoughts and make sure that, uh, we do that as a, as a podcast and as a group here at mile high report and MHR radio. And it's, a treatable but aggressive form of cancer. And I'm not sure what type of cancer he has, but I, as jo, as Dave Logan told me when I wrote the Hall of Fame story for Floyd Little when I was at the Wyoming Tribune Eagle up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, when Floyd Little got into the Hall of Fame, Dave Logan described Floyd Little as John Elway before John Elway because that's what Floyd Little was. Floyd Little was the Broncos franchise from the late 1960s through the, the early 1970s. Floyd little was the only reason people went to, to, to then bear stadium and then mile high stadium. Cause other than that, there was no reason to watch the Broncos because they were horrible. And the fact that Floyd little was able to do what he did knowing the other teams, what he was going to do and they still couldn't stop it is a testament to Floyd Little. And he is the reason the Broncos have stayed in Denver, that um, the there is a stadium renovation group called the Doers where they renovated Bear Stadium in the early 1970s to the 75,000 that it was until it was torn down in 1999-2000 was because of Floyd Little. And when you talk about members of the Broncos' Mount Rushmore, to me, there are two guys who undoubtedly, unquestionably, will always be on there. And it should be John Elway and Floyd Little. Because you cannot have a Broncos organization without either of them. And as you said, we're we're hoping and, and praying for Floyd Little. And in both of Jess's stories on milehighreport.com, he has the GoFundMe for people who want to to donate a dollar or however much they want to donate to help uh, pay for what is an astronomical price tag to fight cancer. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, go to those go to those articles, check them out. Uh, if if you have the the means and you you want to, I would say go for it. Otherwise, uh, you know, lend your support, shoot him a tweet, just think about him. 
Uh, you know, the, the, the one thing that I will go back to here is that Broncos country is a cohesive unit and we may not always agree on everything. Uh, just check out the comment sections on, on some of our articles. We, we disagree on things all the time, but we are, we are a family. We are Broncos country. And so, uh, that's just, that's just the way so you don't get to pick your family, right? Isn't that sort of the saying, you don't get to pick who your family members are. Uh, but when, when times are tough for your family members, you support them in any way that you can. So, uh, we wanted to, to mention Floyd Little, uh, just remind everybody that, that he is out there and he is, he's, he's battling cancer and he's having, uh, to go through this and he's, he's doing it with the support of some people who really care about him. And some of those people are, uh, right here listening to the podcast and, and, reading articles about him on mile high report. And so if you have the opportunity and you'd like to help him out uh, in any way that you can. So uh, it's been, I think, I think what's important is he fought for the Broncos for so many years. As I said, he's the reason the Broncos are still in Denver and eventually turned into the franchise that became the orange crush in 1977. So I I think it's, it's only fair to, to give back and kindly to a man who gave so much to not just the Broncos, but to the Denver community when he was here in the 1960s and 1970s. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Broncos.